All right, ladies and gentlemen, my notes are up. The sun is shining in Seattle. This must mean that we are back for Dana Nick Podcast. And, you know, I guess I got the numbers back. We are on episode 15, so I'm assuming you've been here before. If you're new to the show, we're going to be talking about Pac-12 Hoops today. We will have your favorite team covered in three minutes or, three minutes or left. Uh, yeah, great talking right off the bat right here. Oh, we're in the talking voice. We'll have your favorite team covered in three minutes or less. I get 90 seconds. Dane gets 90 seconds. We make it quick. I got a live. Dane's got a life, and our publisher's got a life as well. So, you know, we get quick to the point, get you in and out. Pack 12 hoops with a little zing, a little sass. So, starting off the top of the show, we have our three big t- takeaways. I think most notably and obviously, you got to roll with UW and what, what has happened in their program. The fact that they're dead last in conference is a, something's going wrong. I'll dive into that when we uh, hop into their individual team segment, but they should not be in last place based off their talent level. You look at um, the conference as a whole, um, second big takeaway, the conference as a whole is a lot improved. There's competitive teams around the conference, and it's really cool to see. I think it'll boost even the top teams of the conference to, consistent, to consistently play quality opponents. And um, the final big takeaway is that the top team is still up for debate in the conference. Depending on your takeaway, it could be USC, Stanford, Colorado, or Oregon. I'd personally go with the Ducks, but again, it's up to your individual perspective. So that's it, getting you started from Seattle. Send you down to Arizona with Dane. Holla, let's get going. Yeah, great to be back for episode, what are we on, 14 or 15 now? So it's been a good run so far, and we're still going strong. Uh, just wanted to start off by addressing the, you know, passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, Sunday midday or so, that news broke. And it's just, you know, it's a shock to everyone involved. And Kobe was a really extraordinary player. Uh, one of the best to ever play the game. I remember growing up, uh, he was my favorite player. I did not really care for the NBA, but I liked Kobe Bryant. So just um, one of those situations where I guess it's life. You know, people pass away and everybody just has to deal with it and handle their lives the way that they you know want to based on the shortness of it and everything that goes along with that. But in this week, the conference, you know, in Colorado was impressive with their victories over Washington and Washington State. USC impressed me the most. Uh, I think they're a great team. And my third team that I wanted to mention was Oregon, still running the uh, running the conference. They're still the, the standard bearer. And yeah, let's jump right into it. So each week we switch it up with which uh, teams or programs we're going to start with. This week we're going to start with the Buffs of Colorado. So looking at them on Thursday, they played a solid game against the Cougs. Pretty much outpaced them throughout the entirety of the contest. Um, The Cougs jumped out to like a really early lead, but besides for their Colorado, pretty much controlled the game. Uh, Played great basketball all around and had the look of a well-coached team. That's coming straight off the note page right there. Uh, What was really impressive though was that they won without Tyler Bay which kind of shows the depth of this team that they have more than one option. And looking at the stats of the game, speaking of these kind of newer options, Lucas Seward scored 16 points and 10 rebounds. The sharpshooter, Deshaun Schwartz, with 13 points. Evan Batty with 12. And McKinley Wright, their star point guard, with 10 points and 10 assists. So good all-around performance against the Cougs. 
Saturday, they beat UW handedly. Again, Tyler Bay was actually back for this matchup, had 16 points and four uh, rebounds. McKinley Wright, 15 points, eight rebounds, but six turnovers, which um, that needs to be corrected down the road, especially come conference tournament and uh, NCAA tournament type game. Six turnovers isn't going to get it done, especially if you're considered an elite point guard, but great results for them. Starting to look like an elite team in conference. They're 16 and four, five and two, um, five and two in conference, if you didn't get that. And uh, looking ahead, they have two winnable games next week. Uh, they travel to UCLA and then at USC. Um, USC is by no means going to be easy, but it is winnable. So the Buffs are starting to have the look of a tournament team. Colorado has played a lot of home games so far in conference. They have seven total conference games. Five of them have been out there in Boulder. Only two of them have been on the road. Uh, I don't think there is a team in the conference who has played more home games. And if you look at their schedule, seven of their next 11 are on the road. So it's one thing to win up there, 7,000 feet of altitude where they've historically played very well, as most of the elite teams in the conference play well at home. Um, So really for their quality, especially for their seed in the upcoming NCAA tournament, That'll very much be dependent on how they do on the road coming up here. They still have to go to Oregon, to USC, and to Stanford. Uh, So those games are ahead of them, and they can really help their NCAA seed by winning at least one, ideally two of those games. And if they drop games on the road, especially games that they shouldn't lose, Um, That's going to hurt them. But obviously up there in Boulder, they're very strong. Um, And right now, if I had to guess, they're probably a five seed. But that could go either direction here in the next month. We're going to hop to their crosstown rival, or not crosstown, but cross-state rival in Utah. And so last week, Utah was dead last in the conference. They'd fallen to the basement, and they kind of are epitomizing the Pac-12 this year. Um, they had two good performances this week, and all of a sudden, they're right back in the thick of things. Not quite in the top, in the top four or anything, but you know they're only a game or two out of that fifth, sixth place. And being in last place a week ago, can you really ask for much more? So Thursday beat the Huskies in a huge comeback win. They're trailing by double digits in the second half. Um, the bottom line is they found a way to get it done when they needed it most. I mean, if they lose this, their season's probably done and just really no NIT, no CBI, no nothing. You look at um, the team leader against UW in that amazing comeback win. Riley Batten was 17 points. Uh, Timmy Allen and Rylan Jones had 13 apiece. So it's cool to get another um, player like Riley Batten to help out Timmy Allen. He was alone for quite some time earlier this year. So great, great win for Utah. On Saturday, they backed it up, um, beat the Cougs pretty handily. Um, yeah, not not too much needs to be said about this game. They beat the Cougs handily in a matchup they should have won. Ryland Jones, again, 24 points, 8 for 10 from the field. And if he can continue this kind of productivity, uh, Utah could all of a sudden be a very dangerous opponent. And uh, Michael Jantanum, if I'm saying his name right, also scored double digits twice, twice this week. So they're finding some depth. Next week, traveling to USC and UCLA. And let's see if they can keep the ball rolling. I've watched a lot of Utah games this season, and they're a young team with a lot of talent. And when you have young teams, you know, like they have, they're the 
third youngest team in the country, according to Kim Palm. It's tough to win on the road. Uh, when your best player is a sophomore in just his second year, it's really difficult. And when all of his supporting cast or a substantial portion uh, portion of them are freshmen, it's even more difficult. And up to this point, Larry Kostowiak, I think he's done a pretty good job uh, handling them on the road. I mean, if you remember, they beat Kentucky. So they have a win over Kentucky. And apart from their trip to Myrtle Beach in November, um, they had a really good non-conference season. They got blown out by San Diego State. Um, so if you take away the Myrtle Beach and the San Diego State games, they had a really impressive non-conference. And then in conference here, um, you know, they haven't won on the road. Uh, and they've basically defended home court except for the Oregon game where they lost but I think it was less than 10. Um, so they're they're good, but it remains to be seen whether or not they can win on the road. It's one thing, as I mentioned, the Colorado segment to win at home, quite another thing to win on the road, and that's really what separates the elite teams from the middling teams uh, this season. You know what, I probably should have included this at my top three things at the top, but ASU's comeback win yesterday against Arizona was absolutely phenomenal. Um, they've now improved to 3-3 three and three in conference, 12-7 and seven overall. So this win puts them right back in the thick of things with a whole heap of other teams. Going to hear this one throughout the segment, but hey, in all seriousness, came back from buying 22 points against their rival. Um, wow, and Arizona's, you know, talent-wise, is a solid team. If you didn't have a chance to watch the highlights of the game, Alonzo Verge Jr. gaming layup um, with about 10 seconds left, attacked the rim, got a nice little layup, uh, put his team up one. Remy Martin, their point guard, has now seven games with 20 points or more. He is becoming their undeniable, denounceable, whatever, bang, bang, leader. Whatever that means. He's their freaking leader, guys. You get it? And uh, also, so rounding out the game, you had Rob Edwards with 15 points, Alonzo Verge with 13 points, and the aforementioned game winner. Again, so they're kind of in the Utah um, scenario. Um, bottom line, they found a way to win. And what a phenomenal win. Great job from Bobby Hurley to get his squad to not give up. I mean, being down 22 against a team that's already whipped your butt once this year, uh, it, they could have easily folded. But Bobby Hurley's character and tenacity and toughness showed through. And ultimately, they found a way to win. And they're in that cluster that I, that I said earlier. Aforementioned, not throwing that out there twice. So next up, they got WSU and UW on the road. And uh, with the way UW's playing, those are both winnable games now. The crowd played a pretty big factor in the comeback for ASU. Um, but as Nick said, Hurley uh, you know, got his team to believe that they could come back. Uh, when they shoot well from three, um, they're very dangerous no matter who they're playing. Um, the questionable aspect, I guess, was the uh, slow start, I guess. Um, they were down by, I think, 20 points or something, um, with about 10 minutes to go in the first half to about five minutes to go. They, uh, they were down by a lot, but then, of course, they had the spark of the comeback. Um, it started on defense, and they were able to get transition uh, points, layups, things like that for some turnovers. Uh, and that gave them a ton of momentum going into halftime. They cut the deficit from, I think, 20 to 13. And you could just, the writing was on the wall that they were going to come back. And they opened up the second half uh, exactly like they finished the first half. And Arizona was never able to uh, recover from that. And 
they got the job done there at the end in the last second layup with about, I don't know, eight seconds to go or five seconds to go, something like that, and uh, played good defense at the end of the, the possession for Arizona, uh, you know, coming down with the last second shot that uh, was blocked, I think. So a uh, great win for them uh, moving forward. They're needing to find out how to win on the road. They need road sweeps, and they need to continue to win up there at the bank uh, in Tempe. All right, we're going to hop over to Tucson and the Wildcats of Arizona. And so they're kind of on the opposite spectrum of Utah. After last week, they beat Colorado by 20 and Utah by 16. And it looked like uh, Arizona's program was back. They're going to be elite team, all those sort of things, Final Fours, everything, you know. Everything's up for grab. Maybe not Final Fours, but at least, you know, maybe a Sweet 16 type team. And then they follow that up, you know, jumping out hot early against ASU. And then blow the freaking lead, like. How are you going to blow a 22-point lead when you're the more talented team? That's inexperience. That's a coaching. That's a lot of different factors. But they lost. And there's no guarantee that this team is going to make the NCAA tournament. And when you look back at the resume, these are the ones that keep you out. Especially when you play better teams, you, you can expect a couple more losses. I mean, they're 13-6, and 3-3 and three in conference. So even though they have the name UA and they had the ranking last week, they're in the thick of it just like every other freaking team I've mentioned so far. And, um, yeah, I mean, they shouldn't have choked this away. That's the bottom line. But if you do want to look at kind of the positives, still early in the season, early enough at least, where um, how they respond is really going to like determine the severity of this loss. If this catapults them in a downward spiral, they could be in trouble. But they do have a chance to quickly uh, rectify things here. So they're at UW and at WSU next. And I guess the only player worth mentioning this week is going to be Zeke Naji, 21 points and 10 rebounds. He did his job this week, but... They lost, man. They freaking lost. Yeah, the Arizona loss to Arizona State was a bit of a shock considering the score at about five minutes left in the first half. I think Arizona was up by like 20, 21 or something. Uh, There's a lot to be said here, so it's hard to pack it down in a minute and a half. Sean Miller has shouldered some of the blame. He decided to bench Max Hazard, even though Hazard was coming off his best weekend as a Wildcat. More than anything that affected this game was Nico Mannion's foul trouble. He played a season-low 25 minutes and did not have an assist. So your starting point guard can't have a game like that and then you expect a win. That's just not how it's going to go. And it'll be rectified moving forward. So this road trip up to Washington is huge. I consider both of these games must-wins. Arizona still does not have a road win at this point in the season. Um, Though the loss last week to ASU, it was a Q1 loss. So that's one of the benefits of the improved conference this year is the high net ranking of all the teams. So if you do lose on the road, it's more than likely going to be a a quad one loss. But like I said, these are must-win games coming up. And Nico Mannion is going to have to play better than how he did. If you've been listening to our podcast, you already know how much trouble I've had with the USC names all year. I put in my own like modifiers, whatever you want to call that. So if I get these names right this week, y'all owe me a McChicken, maybe like a McChub. If you don't know what that is, that's a McDouble with a McChicken, some 
sort of patty combination in the middle, cut out the bun, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, anyway, I'm going to talk about UFC. So they're currently 16-4, and 5-2, and two, sitting close to the top of the conference and uh, could be considered a surprise team. Um, could not be. I mean, they've always had the talent, but they're finally getting it done. So on Thursday, heck of a performance against Oregon. They lost in double overtime on the road. Um, nothing to be ashamed of there, nothing to hang your hat on. Uh, plain and simple, this type of game shows how good the squad can really be. If you're going to take arguably the best team in conference uh, to double overtime on the road, you could have some pretty cool things ahead of you. So I'd actually consider this a win, depending on how they respond. Um, again, very, very impressive performance. Oyeke Ankangwu, I please I tell me if I got that right, had 23 points and 14 rebounds. He's starting to become that elite team leader. He can also play against elite competition. Jonah Matthews, Jonah Matthews also finished with 13. On Saturday, they completely destroyed Oregon State. Um, it's an impressive result, probably more impressive than people realize. Again, Oyeke Ankangwu finished with 18 points and 8 boards. And uh, next to Nick Rakovich, he can be, they can be emerging together as the most dangerous front, front court in the Pac-12, uh, hosting Utah and Colorado next. Weird ending. I'm rolling with it. Gee! Yeah, super close. I think uh, Onyeka Okongu and Nick Rakosevich. Um, so, okay, for the Trojans, yeah, uh, that was one of their most impressive weeks in recent memory. Can you remember a better weekend for Trojan basketball? Um, they demolished Oregon State. It didn't even look close, the athletes that were on the floor. And yes, Oregon State probably let up a little bit. But wow, man, they completely outclassed the Beavers. And then against Oregon, they went toe-to-toe, took them to double overtime. So Oregon is the best team in the conference, and USC just force double overtime on them on the road so uh they're a great team they're one of the best teams in the conference i think of the teams who have potential to make the sweet 16 in the pac 12 it goes oregon usc and if colorado's playing well colorado uh you can make an argument for arizona and potentially stanford too but yeah usc's i mean if you look at their true road game their true road game record they're five and two they've played seven road games and they've won five of them they have an elite front court and a pretty good back court that is inconsistent ethan anderson freshman has emerged that's huge for them moving forward so uh just kind of program note here um I am recording my segments before UCLA plays their Sunday matchup. Who are they even playing? Oh, they're playing Oregon. Yeah, so <laughs> Oregon's going to smash them. Like, like, y'all really need to listen to me to tell you that Oregon's going to smash them. Sorry, Bill Walton. Take that, boy. All right, so um, getting back to the facts here. Uh, so UCLA, as I mentioned, 10-9, and 3-3 three and three in conference. Again, they're in the thick of things, just like half the other teams. So, um... Anyways, on Thursday, they uh, beat Oregon State on the road by four, which is actually, again, one of those huge wins. It keeps the program moving in the right direction. Um, great job by Mick Cronin and his squad to pull that one out. And I think um, when you're in a rebuilding program type situation, you can't expect to win every game. That's unrealistic. But there are certain matchups that you can win, and that's what this Oregon State game was. And it was probably not an expected victory for the Bruins, but they pulled it out. 
again, sitting at three and three in conference, you can scratch the ten and nine total record. Three and three in Pac-12 play—that's quite impressive for a first-year coach in a program that was not desolate, but pretty, pretty um, just inconsistent. We'll say the previous year. Chris Smith had 15 points. Jamie Hawkins Jr. with 14. And um, kind of side note, um, Sharif O'Neal is choosing to transfer out of UCLA. Um, not sure what that means for the program. I don't think he's done too much this year. So just uh, felt the segment wouldn't be complete without including that. Yeah, Oregon ended up putting 96 points on the Bruins. Uh, though UCLA did get the split uh, with the victory over Oregon State earlier in the week, which is really all you could expect. Um you know, from that Oregon trip is fairly uh, difficult to just get splits, so that's impressive. And also, you know, now they have victory a victory at Oregon State and at Washington. So if you look at their record in true road games, they're two and three, which is pretty good considering where that program is at. The poor thing or the bad thing about their season so far, they're seven and four at home. There is not a team in the conference who has more home losses than UCLA, which doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't know if they play tighter in front of their home crowd. There's more expectations, more distractions, or what. But they seem to play better uh, on the road in the conference, which I think is somewhat of a good sign moving forward in the Cronin era. But you need to figure out how to get wins in, in poly. And if you were able to get just one or two of those um, games at Poly, you'd be right up there at the top of the conference standings. So they're improving week by week, game by game. They're buying into the system. And I think things are finally starting to, you know, be cautiously optimistic for that program heading into next season. All right, so again, we have another um, segment that I'm recording before um, the game's actually been played, and we're going to be talking about the Stanford Cardinal here. They're 15-3, and 4-1 and one in conference, currently sitting alone at the top of the helm. Uh, first place, if you didn't catch that reference. Uh, I'm actually kind of happy that I'm able to kind of talk about them as a whole and not just one specific game. Again, um, I'm not going to make a prediction against them against Cal. It's a rivalry game, so I'll just leave it at that. We'll see what happens. So... If you haven't been following Stanford as they've kind of been the surprise team of conference, and when I say kind of, they have been the surprise team of the conference. And um, if they win tonight, they'll be sitting alone still at 5 and 1, 16 and 3. So if you're looking at their team, you forward Oscar da Silva. Oscar da Silva, I believe I said that right, 16.2 points per game, 5.7 rebounds. But the most important stat is a 61.6% from the field. And this is through 18 games. That's very, very highly impressive. Um, he's also averaging 1.4 steals, which is really surprising and cool as a forward. It means he's hustling. You have point guard Tyrell Terry averaging 15.8 points, 5.2 rebounds, 3.6 assists. Very solid point guard. May not have the athleticism as some other players in conference, but very, very solid point guard. And uh, filling. So if you have a good forward and a good point guard, you have a chance, and that's what they've proven. They have a couple other players in Spencer Jones and DeJon Davis to fill up the scoring. They're at about 28 points a game combined and uh, really an amazing coaching job by Gerard Haas. So the Cardinals are doing some pretty, pretty cool things. So they did drop that game against California, which I did not see coming. I thought they were going to mop the floor with them, have a bounce back performance after the USC collapse. And now they're really on the back foot. Um, 
They've lost two games in a row. Both of them, they probably should have won. And they're reeling. They are they are not in a good place right now. And it's crazy because just about a week ago or so, they're at the top of the conference. They were looking like the best team in the conference. And they were beating USC by 20. Um, and they collapsed in the second half of that game. They haven't recovered yet. So they need to get that confidence back that they had and just try and put these games behind them. Um, they're still right there. Uh, everything is in front of them. They're 15 and four. You know, they just have four losses. So they, um, they could still win the conference. They're certainly still uh, projected to make the NCAA tournament as of now, though they're trending in the wrong direction. And if they continue to lose games like that, they shouldn't lose. Um, they could move back onto the bubble, which is um, a tough, tough break for them. But that's what happens when you don't win games. And so they need to get it together and quick. So um, there's a little door banging in the background there. My mistake. Windy morning in Seattle. But as you know, if you've been listening to us or, or you're a new viewer, Dane and I aren't going to perfectly, perfectly make this some like crazy, pristine broadcast. We're two guys shooting off the hip, getting you some solid information to the best of our ability, get you on your way, get you on your day, you know. Keep it simple, straightforward with the facts. So with that, we're going to talk about the Cal Golden Bears here. 8-10 and 10 overall, 2-3 and three in conference. Um, they're playing Stanford, as mentioned in the previous segment. Uh, this is recorded beforehand. Bottom line is, this is a must-win game for them if they want to kind of keep their program trending in the right direction and accelerate the rebuild. Um, in terms of recruiting, since you're playing your rival in a close, in, in, a close, in a close across the bay type situation, this could prove huge for recruiting. Uh, they're probably recruiting some pretty similar players, so if Cal can put up a respectable performance, it would be really beneficial. Mark Fox has coached in big games before, and his defensive approach may be able to slow down Stanford. That's a may, not a guarantee, but he has the experience, bottom line. Their star player, Matt Bradley, is averaging 17.4 points per game, and they need Matt Bradley, Matt Bradley, and more Matt Bradley if they're going to pull off this upset. He's got to drop like 25-30. Talent level really isn't that different between the two teams. Um, Obviously, Stanford is a little more talent, but it's not like a huge leap, so the Golden Bears do have a chance. Again, they must find a way. And uh, next week, they're going to host Oregon and Oregon State. But this is a must-win game against Stanford today. So I think their victory is probably uh, the biggest win of the of the year for them. I, I mean, I would argue a little bit the, the games at the beginning of the season were just as important. But, I mean, if you win over your rival, um, that probably takes the cake. So, yeah, it was a uh, two-point game. Stanford had a chance to win it at the end inbounded the ball, drove the length of the court or half of the court, laid it up and made it, but um, the ball didn't get out of his hands before the buzzer went off. So Cal escaped, and Mark Fox got his first signature victory uh, in that rivalry, and it was done at home, which uh, builds a lot of momentum. As Nick said, it's huge for recruiting. There is a ton of local talent in the Bay Area that programs from all across the country, especially on the West Coast, take kids you know right out of so if if um fox can lock down that or at least you know get a little bit of that um piece of the cake out there uh cal is a sleeping giant i've said it before 
say it again in recruiting, they have um, a lot of potential. And games like these, step-by-step incremental improvements are the way to get it done. So at this point in the season, they are 9-10. and 10. And 3-3 three and three in conference, that's exactly where they need to be. And you got to have a lot of hope if you're a Bear fan at this point in the season. Fire! Fire! I don't know what song that is. I think it's like some old school funk song, but same to roll with me right now. And we're talking about fire because Wayne Tinkle's feeling that under his seat. Ooh, boy, is that seat hot right now. Woo-hoo, you feeling that. All right, so Oregon State's 12-8, and 2-6 and in, um, in conference. And I think they had the worst performance of the week with the exception of the Huskies. Um, I stated last week that they needed to win three other next four games if they really wanted a chance to kind of turn their season around. And they immediately responded by losing their, their next two and completely obliterating any chance of that happening. Plain and simple, they're in crisis mode. I would actually go as far to say as their season is toast. And in my notes, I actually have extra crispy toast. That's that's straight from the notebook right there. No stats for the UCLA loss at home. They lost. That's embarrassing and unacceptable. I mean, I don't really need to throw you stats. That's just embarrassing. They shouldn't have lost that, especially with the talents of a Trace Tinkle and Ethan Thompson and a Kyler Kelly. Step it up, guys. On Saturday, um, they got slalomed by USC. And again, I wanted to look up stats, um, but really... They don't deserve it to even have stats out there. I'll, I'll tell you Trace Tinkle at 17, but that's really all I'm going to give you. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the segment, Wayne Tinkle C is hot. He's not getting it done. Like He's not a kid. He's a coach, so we can call him out. He's not getting it done, and uh, who cares who's next? They got to win. Wayne Tinkle, you better win or you gone, player. I think the discussion of whether or not Wayne Tinkle is the right fit at Oregon State is legitimate at this point of his tenure and of uh, their season. They started off pretty decent. They had the questionable loss to Texas A&M by about 15, but he had a lot of hope for them moving forward into the conference season at the beginning of January. It's pretty much fallen apart, and it's not like they've only lost on the road. Um, Four of their first eight games have been at home. It's crazy because they have wins over Arizona and Colorado, so that's um, two great victories, but, I mean, losses to Washington State, UCLA, UW, uh, even Utah, so that's uh, a, a big issue, and I don't know how good of a recruiter he really is. I mean, if you take away Trey Tinkle, who's his son, um, I don't think they have that much talent. You know, they don't have a... If you take away Trey Tinkle, the, who's their star? I mean, Ethan Thompson's a good player. I, I like Sean Miller more coming off the bench as a freshman, so he's uh, he's got something for them moving forward. But, I mean, you know, in in a conference like this where you're in a, a Power 6 conference and you're not getting the job done and your recruiting classes aren't very high, uh, you know, you're on the hot seat. And like Nick said, he needs to win and they need to win. But I don't know if there's a real appetite for him to be fired out there at Oregon State. I don't know the vibe there in Corvallis. So the next team we're going to talk about here is the Oregon Ducks. Um, I would say the second game of the week by an Arizona and Arizona State. But on Thursday, they found a way to win a double overtime thriller against USC. Uh, truly amazing. Um, they found a way to win a lot of these games now. 
in overtime this year. They've beaten USC, Washington, and Arizona. And uh, those three victories are the difference between two and five in conference and five and two. So big, 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 big for them that they're getting those uh, close wins. Again, 16 and four overall, five and two uh, in conference. And going back to the Thursday matchup, um, Chris Duarte had 30 points, 11 rebounds, and eight steals. Eight, man. That's crazy, man. Those numbers, for real, speak for themselves. For real, man. That's wild. As always, Peyton Pritchard, cool, steady point guard hand, 24 points and seven assists. And we can analyze this a bunch of different ways, but the bottom line is they are good conference opponents from top to bottom, and they keep finding a way to win these tough games. And, um, yeah, they're getting it done. Um, Still have everything to play in front of them. And um, I think one thing that is important to note, with their run last year and kind of their preseason hype, a lot of people had them picked to win the conference at the beginning at the beginning of the year. They're going to get everyone's best shot, and they keep finding a way to pull up victories. And I think ultimately, this is what's going to prepare them for March. Last year, they kind of snuck in with that crazy Pac-12 tournament run, but this year they're getting a lot of they're getting a lot of good games early on, and I believe they'll be prepared for March and maybe a Final Four run. For Oregon, at this point of the season, I'm expecting Elite Eight out of them. And anything less than an Elite Eight is going to be a disappointment. So uh, if they lose in the Sweet 16, that's definitely not acceptable. And I think they have potential to make a Final Four run. Are they capable of getting to the National Championship game? That's uh, that's I'm not willing to say that at this point. Though it's entirely possible, depending on the matchup in the Final Four. Um, but definitely an Elite Eight appearance is the minimum expectation based on their non-conference season, um, everything they've done in conference play, uh, and really what's most important about them is Peyton Pritchard, senior point guard, and Dana Altman. So Altman is a Hall of Fame coach. Peyton Pritchard is one of the best to ever play for Oregon. That combination creates a lot of expectations here coming into March, and I don't think they've ever had these this level of exp- expectation Ever before. Oregon basketball has never had this type of expectation. And when you have a team that's expected to do well, things can go south. They can get overconfident. They can, you know, just be full of themselves, essentially. Or they might be, I hate to say it, overrated. I don't think they are. And I also don't think they'll be overconfident. I think that Dana Altman knows exactly what he's doing and his system above all else is conducive to winning, and it's just the way that they press on defense and they play freely on offense. So I think they're going to make the Elite Eight. All right, so this, man, this podcast felt like it's flying by fast. We're uh, actually on the final two teams already. And uh, so we're going to start with the Cougs, uh, WSU, 12-9 overall, 3-5 in conference. So... They're like one of the few teams I can say that's not like dead in the thick of it, but they're not quite out of it. They're um in between like the worst teams in conference and being in the thick of it. So they're kind of standing alone right now, to be quite frank. On uh, Thursday, um, they played tough against Colorado, but um, they didn't have the skill level to compete for 40 minutes. Um, the Buffs and um, Tad Boyle actually really looked like a solid team and were coached very well in that game. And um, bottom line for the Cougs, they came back to reality after their amazing week. Um, kind of the week before on Clay Thompson's jersey retirement night, uh, they beat Oregon State and they shocked the world, upsetting number eight Oregon. Um, those days are done again. Back to reality. Back to 
you know, their talent level. They're not like elite talent wise. Um, the one player they do have is CJ Ellaby at 15 points and five rebounds. Um, he'll need to become a better passer and get his teammates involved a little bit more, but that should come with time. And uh, Isaac Bonton, who had the huge performance against Oregon State last week, was held to 10 points. On Saturday, Utah beat them comfortably. And uh, Bonton did respond with 21 points. LB with 12 points and 7 rebounds. But bottom line, they didn't win. Um, for the Cougs, it looks like they're going to be able to compete at home and not really able to hang around the road. So home is going to be their best chance to steal a couple more conference wins. Um, interesting to see how they respond next week. And they're going to host ASU and U of A. Yeah, Washington State is definitely better up there in Pullman. And that's true of a lot of teams in conference, though. Uh, defending your home court is the key. And, of course, splitting on the road is ideal. But uh, Washington State does not have a road win yet. But um, if you had told me that at the beginning of the season, I would have completely believed you. They're certainly performing above expectations under first-year coach Kyle Smith. Um, they've blown expectations out of the water. Let's be honest. Nobody expected them to get more than maybe one or two wins in conference. Uh, they already have three, including over, you know, number eight Oregon at the time. So those are very impressive. Um, they got three home games in a row coming up, the Arizona schools and the new dub. And then five of their last seven games are on the road. So they could potentially end the season on a fairly um, long losing stretch. They might only win one, maybe two of those games, their last seven. So it's the time is now. If they're going to uh, continue to win at home, they're going to have to do it starting uh, this week against the Arizona schools, and that needs to happen. Otherwise, um, their season is falling apart pretty quickly. Though, like I said, you know they've, ex- they've uh, exceeded expectations by far, so... Kyle Smith is still on the radar for Coach of the Year, though I think Andy Enfield is trying to take that from him. So I had notes for every other team. That That's just, you know, you got to be prepared. Got that one from the Bill Walton book. Not trying to hate on you, Bill. Yes, I am. I did earlier, I guess. So this is me. I'm cutting into UW segment because they don't really deserve the time. I'm only talking about them because, like, I have to. Um, just what the freaking frick is going on? Um, I live in Seattle, and I actually predicted this team was going to make the Final Four this year. I'm um, not a Husky fan, so don't think of it like that. No bias or anything. Just, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, really is. This team, talent-wise, um, they still, even staying dead last in the conference, are still arguably the most talented team in conference. And no, that's not a misstatement. You have Isaiah Stewart, who could be the best player in conference. Jaden McDaniels, another five-star recruit. Nas Carter, an athletic freak and can shoot the rock a little bit. You have those three players. You should be towards the top of the conference alone. But bottom line is they're not. And I think this falls directly on head coach Mike Hopkins. I believe he is a great player or a great coach. Um, so I would, for the long run, I think things are going to work out for him. But this year, he's just not getting it done. Uh, you can slice this a million different ways. He's failing his team right now. He's not earning his money. But again, I do think he's going to be a good long-term option. Just something isn't clicking right now, bottom line. Um, since point guard Quade Green was ruled academically ineligible, I believe they're 1-4. So losing their point guard does hurt. But they had these same problems um, before that kind of um, suspension. They've been blowing games all year, and they must get it done. They're embarrassing right now. I started saying in about, I think, December, maybe early January at the very latest, that 
Washington had some serious depth issues, and that was a, a major flaw in their program. And I, I noticed that because their bench hardly scored any points, and they were ultra-reliant on their starters. And to their credit, when they had Quade Green and, and their other starters, McDaniels and uh, Stewart and Carter, uh, they were one of the best teams in the country. They, I think Baylor has two or three losses all year, and one of them was to Washington. And that was on the very first game of the season uh, when Washington had never played with each other. Um, so that's a testament to the quality that they have when they're at full strength. They're not at full strength, so there's serious issues. Uh, Quade Green was a McDonald's All-American and the point guard who ran their system. So, uh, But as Nick said, I do agree as well that moving forward, uh, Hopkins is the best option for them. And actually, they need to make sure that he gets locked down on a longer-term contract with a massive buyout because as soon as Boheim retires at Syracuse, the first person they're going to call is Hopkins. And I can almost guarantee you he's going to take the job. So you need to put in a contract in place that makes it extremely difficult for Syracuse to poach him. I'm talking like a $10, $15 million buyout, something that's just off the charts that he's not going to do it. So um, they need to get that locked down. And for this season, it's it's over. I mean, pretty much you're hoping on winning the Pac-12 tournament to make the, the NCAA. All right, believe it or not, we're at the end of the show already. We told you we'd make it quick. We got you. So, man, I'm not finding my notes. I believe my three big takeaways this week. Oh, actually, I want to throw one in there from doing the podcast. So we'll change the three big takeaways. We'll call it a four. We've got a 3A at the top, 3A at the bottom. I'll, again, I want to shout out that ASU victory, um, come from behind victory against Arizona. I think that is probably the most exciting game of the week and something that really, really should be respected. Again, if you look at the uh, second thing, if you look at the conference as a whole, um, very, very competitive this year from top to bottom. This will improve the tournament teams, the teams at the bottom, the teams in the middle. Everyone's going to benefit from playing good competitive basketball. And it's made the, the Pac-12 a lot of fun to watch and cover this year. Uh, quite frankly, hasn't been like this the past, few, the past few seasons. So really, really a lot of fun. And there still is no clear-cut team at the top. Um yeah, there just isn't. Um, you could say Oregon, you could say Colorado. Last week, you could have said Arizona, but not anymore. So you could say Oregon, you could say Colorado, you could say USC, you could say Stanford again. Just depends on perspective. Oh, yeah, and here's the last point. They don't even deserve a bullet point. The Huskies freaking suck right now. <laughs> like, they can't beat anybody. They just decide to get up by 10 points and choke away every game. Uh, that, that's not a winning formula if you haven't figured it out, guys. So that's all from Seattle. I want to say thank you all for tuning in. Deuces, adios. Let Dane take you out. Dane, the man with the plan, he always rocks it. So you know what it is. Adios, amigos. Chi. So I think there's probably five teams that will make the NCAA tournament. I think that's the same amount that I said last week. I don't exactly remember. But um, Washington has played themselves out of an at-large bid. So they are relying on winning the Pac-12 tournament, unless if they turn things around here. Though that seems highly unlikely without Quade Green. Uh, I think Oregon is the best team in the conference, and I don't think it's uh, very close. Uh, and then followed, it's pretty much a tie for second, although I'd get the advantage uh, to USC, and then Colorado close third. And then I'd say Arizona's fourth, and Stanford is probably fifth. And then um, from there on down, it's a, uh, a battle between all the middle teams. The one that sticks out to my mind the most is Arizona State. So if there was going to be an unlikely... 
uh, team that gets into the tournament um, at this point that you wouldn't really see coming, uh, I think it would be Arizona State, other than the five that are, are locks at this point, which are Arizona, Oregon, Colorado, USC. Um, so, yeah, I mean... <sighs> You know, moving forward, it, it changes week week by week, and it changes game by game, but we're getting closer and closer to where it's becoming more defined, more obvious, and the analysis is fairly a, a bit repetitive because it's the same teams at the top and the middle teams, you know, kind of falling apart, Oregon State, Washington State. So the really the one to keep an eye on, I think, is Arizona State uh, moving forward. 